The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. How's it going and welcome to episode 87 of On The Wire, proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at on the wire pod. And if you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, please take a second to let us know what you think. I am Adam Howe. You can still follow me on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. I'm once again joined by Kevin Hastings, who's still on the Twitter himself at Hastings Kevin. Hey, Kevin, we're in the middle. I think middle is about right. Maybe a little past the midway point of our first listener league draft how do you feel that's going for you i'm enjoying it as always enjoy all drafts but uh, yeah uh, more specifically i think it's going really well as we typically say during any draft especially later in the draft season but i'm already seeing it i know there was only 20 some leagues but adp's out the window oh yeah Yeah, I know I had a part in that. I I pushed a guy or two up just because at this point, it's a 12-teamer too. That's the thing. We're in a 12-teamer. All the ADP that we see is 15-teamers, and there is definitely going to be some fluctuation in that where you fill up your roster a little bit quicker, you feel a little bit more, or at least I felt a little bit more free to get my guy, especially in rounds like 17 and up. We're in round 21 as, as we're recording this right now. Good possibility by the time this goes, this episode goes live, we might have finished the whole thing. And the beauty of it is that when this league is finished, it'll be the first 12 teamer to be put into ADP in the NFBC platform. You won't be able to like search for it as specifically, but since it is the only 12 teamer, I guess you could by just filtering out 12 teamers because everything so far that's in there. No, disregard that. There are a couple of NFBC 50s, which are 12 teamers as well. So this is the first fab league, put it that way, first fab league that's in there. I want to get some housekeeping out of the way for these listener leagues though, before we get going, I get to give a call out to a couple of people who signed up for the leagues that honestly, I just don't have your contact information. And I want to make sure you get into the league because we're taking official registrations for the December 5th draft. If you guys are listening, your names are Ricky, Jason, or David. Please shoot us a DM. Let us know. Shoot us an email on the wirepod at gmail.com. You can DM us on Twitter as well at on the wire. You guys put that you wanted to be contacted via email, but didn't actually put an email address. Just give us a call. (laughs) Let us know what that is so we can make sure that we get you the link so you can get signed up for the next league. And we still have some openings for our January 
March and March are February leagues tentatively are full. You can get put on the wait list for that. But we have two drafts in March 5th, two drafts on March 15th, and two drafts on January 5th. There are a couple spots open for those if you want to get pre-registered. Check out the pinned tweet that's on our Twitter page. As long as it's is it still standing, go check it out and we'll we'll get you hooked up. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about as we finish recording this or as we're starting to record this, we just passed the non-tender, the arbitration tender deadline at 8 p.m. Eastern on Friday evening. We are in the, the thick of hot stove season. A bunch of trades we're going to talk about, some non-tendered new free agents, and then there's some big name free agents that are a good chunk of them are probably going to change teams. So we want to talk about the impact and where they're going, what impact they could make. So we brought in a great guest to talk to us about that. We're joined by Sean Roberts, who should be followed on the Twitter at Sean, S-E-A-N underscore H-Q. Sean does most of his work over at PitcherList.com. He's also contributed over at Hardball Times, Baseball Prospectus. And today we're going to pick Sean's brain about the free agent prediction article he recently put out over at PitcherList.com as we speculate on the impact of those biggest free agent hitters we have. We, we will be seeing them on new teams. But for now, you know what, Sean, just thanks for joining us, man. How you doing? I'm great, Adam and Kevin. Thank you so much for having me. You guys are doing great work on the podcast here. It's a pleasure to be here with you as the stove is heating up and we're heading into Thanksgiving here. So happy to be here. Yeah, that it's past simmer. Like at first, it's you want to you want to just see it simmer. You want to see some little things happening. I think at the beginning of the week you could say it was simmering, but today, Friday, a whole slew of stuff happened. Whether it's guys that are being DFA now being non tendered, a couple of trades went through today. We'll get to those in a second. And so it's nice to have. A just a normal off season again. We haven't seen this in what feels like a decade. I know it's only been like three years, but it feels a lot longer than that. Kevin, you get all of your information in a weird way earlier than everybody else because of the time difference. You sometimes you're waking up to news that we had to wait until after lunch to get. That's that's a weird feeling. How's how's the news trickling into Hawaii different than what you've been used to? No, it's really nice. I'm a I'm one of those people that typically, not always, but typically I hit the bed right after I put my 11-year-old to bed. And then I'm up at 4.35 a.m. So it's not super late East Coast time, especially now we don't do daylight savings time. So it's only a five-hour difference now. So I'm up by typically 9.30 or 10 a.m. Eastern time. But it is nice just to wake up and have a whole feed full of news to, <laughs> sure. to look over as I'm having my morning coffee and watching the sun come up. There it is. It's a good way to start your morning. If you have that ability to like relax and have a cup of coffee and after your kid's gone to school and you were able to have the place to yourself, that's a nice luxury to have. All right, guys. Like I said, we have we do have a couple things that have gone on throughout the week I want to get to. So let's get right into it, Kevin. The first one of the first trades that were was announced had Nolan Jones being traded from the Cleveland Guardians to of all places, Colorado. And I know how you feel about Colorado players in general, but hitters even now are even even now, but you always have to take note when a hitter goes to Colorado. You should take note when a, a pitcher goes to Colorado too. Sorry, Brent Suter. But we're going to talk about Nolan Jones first. This Does this all of a sudden move Jones up draft boards or is he simply 
honestly too young to be playing in Colorado. Yeah, that's the question, right? What are the Rockies going to do? But it's really intriguing. At first glance, where Nolan Jones is playing doesn't matter because he doesn't swing the bat enough, right? It's his CSW as a hitter is over 32%. Nearly 20% of that is called strikes. He's too passive. But if there's anywhere that he might get an inkling that, oh, maybe I should be swinging the bat more, maybe the, maybe that's Colorado, right? There's a vast area out there for the ball to land. And so this is one of those things that hopefully we can see new hitting instructors, whole new staff, and can they get him to be less passive and swing the bat more? That's what's interesting. As for if we're drafting right now, yeah, I would say it is a little bit of a bump at late rounds of DCs. Remember, in uh, you you referred to this. I'm fading Rockies in weekly lineup leagues. The schedule just not as conducive until very late in the season to be playing Rockies in our starting lineups. But in NFBC formats, we can work around that. Uh, and so late in DCs, if you're someone that really is going to keep an eye, be able to maintain teams that need a lot of moves every week, yeah, I'd probably give him a little bit of a bump. Yeah, currently going at ADP of 510. He is the third Nolan off the board, only outfield eligible at the moment. Venture to guess somebody who came up with a little bit more versatility, he might get the opportunity to play a little bit in the infield as well. But we'll see what Colorado ends up doing with him. Even if he just makes it through spring training, still on the team would be or still in the majors <laughs> based on Colorado's past experience would be something. Let's, Sean, I want to have your thoughts over toward the Cleveland side of this. Do you have any prediction based on this? Do you have a prediction on what Cleveland's next move will be? Like, do they fill Jones's hole internally? Do they actually spend money, <laughs> which I know is unheard of for the Cleveland organization of at any time? But what do you think is the next move here in Cleveland? I think they need to acquire a bat at some position and at some point. But as I was looking through this, I'll give you guys a trivia question and I didn't prepare you for this, but I want to see if you know it. When's the last time Cleveland gave out a $20 million total value free agent contract? Do managers count? Does Terry Francona make that much money? That might be it. (laughs) Tito doesn't count. Players only. Is it all the way back to like Albert Bell? Double E, maybe? <laughs> wow. <laughs> that, that's a great guess. It's actually, I was actually surprised. It's actually a little bit more recent than you think. It's 2017. They signed Edwin Encarnacion to a three-year, yes. $60 million contract. So Cleveland actually spends some money sometimes on, under the ownership when it comes. I think we are a little we have a little recency bias with the Francisco Lindor stuff, obviously. But so I think they will open up and probably spend money for a bat because they need it and they're close to contending. So I think they they should and hopefully. Currently, the Cleveland Guardians have the going into the going into right now have an expected or (laughs) a total payroll of 18.8 million. That is lower than the qualifying offer um, for any individual (laughs) player. That was that was provided with that this year. I'll leave it at that. We'll move on to the next. There's room for them to spend. Yes, Sean. (laughs) Hopefully they actually do it. So it'd be interesting to see what kind of holes they do fill with the money that they could be spending. Sean, let's see. We got a very active Seattle team so far. No shocker. Stop me if you've heard this before. Seattle Mariners are being active on the trade front, but they have traded away Kyle Lewis. I'm just going to say D.H. Kyle Lewis. 
those who are labeling him an outfielder have not seen him play in the outfield. I don't think any of us have seen him play in the outfield in some time anyway. He's going to, he ultimately gets replaced by T. Oscar Hernandez, who the Mariners traded for from Toronto earlier in the week. And if, you know, you're, Sean, if you're a Seattle fan, are you satisfied with the outfield that is currently consisted of Julio Rodriguez and then a mix of Jared Kellenic, Teoscar Hernandez, Jesse Winker, and possibly Taylor Trammell? I think so. I think the outfield is better than last year's outfield when it was largely the same group minus Teoscar Hernandez. I don't think it's a bad outfield for Seattle. If I'm wanting to them to go for it. Maybe I'm hoping they're still a little more active. I am a little surprised maybe that they traded away Kyle Lewis instead of Kellenic. Even though I know he has still a lot of prospect value and a lot of helium there, Kyle Lewis has done it at the major league level. And even when he's not rookie of the year, Kyle Lewis, I think he's still a productive player and can be a productive hitter. I was a little surprised by that, but I don't think if you're a Seattle fan, you're that's your biggest concern at the moment. I think what I'm most curious about is what kind of playing time Cooper Hummel, who Mariners got from Arizona in that Kyle Lewis deal, what kind of playing time he sees with that catcher outfield eligibility from a fantasy side. That'll be an interesting take. Yeah, a late thing, Adam, that just happened this afternoon before we started recording this afternoon, this evening for you and most listeners, they'd non-tendered Torrance. So it looks like, at least for now, Hummel is probably the backup catcher. Yeah, it'd be nice to see how many plate appearances he actually gets with that eligibility that he Fantasy-wise, I guess it's eligibility, but he's played enough games in the outfield to show that he can hold his own out there as well. So that's somebody to keep an eye out for sure. Sean, going back to the outfield, though, let's go with Teoscar leaving Toronto. This has got to leave some kind of hole. They didn't. They only got they got a real they got a pretty good reliever and a minor league pitcher who could be a starter, could be a reliever. Who knows? But for that leaves a hole in the outfield slash DH spot. Do you think that this leaves an opportunity for the Blue Jays to make another move, or are they going to fill that internally as well? I think they'll make a move for sure. How high of an impact of a move that is remains to be seen. They have a ton of guys they can mix and match in those outfield spots. So I think they felt they had a surplus of outfielders probably and were willing to make the move for that reason. I don't think they necessarily have something imminent that we're going to hear about tonight or, or tomorrow. Like this doesn't... Uh, precipitate that that following move but I do still think they'll probably add an outfield bat at some point I think the biggest rumor I've seen so far is the Brandon Nimmo thing but I agree even though all the rumors say that it seems to be down to Toronto or New York I don't know if Nimmo be like the first domino to fall first major free agent to sign Edwin Diaz notwithstanding the one thing about Toronto's outfield it's not the healthiest right now as roster resource has George Springer (laughs) been stenciled in center field. He's obviously the everyday center fielder as long as he can actually stay in the field. Lord Grillo Jr. also had some his own health issues as of recently. And then Whit Merrifield in right field, we've seen the issues with with playing time we've seen from him last year as well. So even with that, with them having three decent names penciled in there, that's an the other thing is that's an entirely right-handed top nine in that lineup. So you got to assume that uh, a lefty is got to be in the cards for at least somebody that they're eyeing moving before they get into spring training. Kevin, what are your thoughts on all this? Does this change the valuation for T. Oscar as he goes to Seattle? I mean, we saw that with Jesse Winker when he moved up a little bit more of an extreme Cincinnati to anywhere else. We're going from Toronto, which at least at the time when it wasn't a, a balanced schedule, got a lot of friendly parks to play in. Toronto also being one of them. Going to Seattle, not as friendly of a park for hitters. That is, does this move 
Teoscar up or down your ranks as you're doing drafts? I don't think so. I think he's probably about the same guy. We're pretty excited about the Mariners' young lineup. I don't think it's quite as strong as Toronto's, but I don't think it's a big downgrade. When he hits a home run, it's a home run, usually regardless of ballpark. So more concerned with Teoscar, he's been on the decline since his amazing 2020 when he was on pace for 40 home runs if it had been a full season. 32 home runs in 2021, 25 home runs in 2022. I know he played 12 less games, but then that's more in line with what he did back in 2019. So it's, he's 30 years old. He should still have two or three darn good seasons left in him. I don't know that we're going to see anything like he was on pace for in 2020 again, and maybe not even his 2021, but I think he's still probably about the same guy that he was before the trade. All right. And then the other leg of this is Kyle Lewis leaving, like opening up that DH spot in some outfield stop for Teoscar. Lewis leaving Seattle, going to Arizona, who... As I mentioned earlier, Lewis is not an outfielder. He was at one point. He's probably not anymore. So you have to assume if he's playing, if he's healthy enough to play, he's playing pretty much every day DH for Arizona. But what is Arizona doing with Kyle Lewis? Even if they do plan on like putting him in the outfield here or there, they've got a lot of mouths to feed in that outfield. What's your take on Lewis in Arizona? Yeah, I think it 100% depends on the health, not only himself, but... Cattell Marte. When we saw him most of the second half last season, it was in that designated hitter position. And if that's where they need to put him in the lineup to get him in the lineup, that's what's going to happen. And Kyle Lewis, as you mentioned, probably is not going to see much time in the outfield. So that's what I would keep an eye on is the health of Cattell Marte. Is he in the lineup at second base? If they need him to be in the DH spot, we're probably not going to see much of Kyle Lewis. So that's not, sometimes you say a guy just needs a new change of scenery. This is probably not the scenery that's going to increase Kyle Lewis's draft stock, at least this early in the offseason. All right, one, not one other. We have a couple of more trades to talk about, but one of the bigger ones is Gio Urshela. He got traded from Minnesota to the Angels. This is the third team Gio's been on in the last three seasons, or it will be. His current ADP of 351 in the 20. 20- draft champions that have completed he's the 24th third base eligible player off the board and in la or in anaheim if john Heyman is to be trusted which it's his own debate that's a different podcast urshela could find himself in an everyday role for the angels i don't know what that might be but does the possibility of multi-position eligibility if he moves off a of third base if rendon's healthy enough to play more than two weeks of the season for the beginning of the season does the Possibility of multi-position eligibility combined with hitting alongside the likes of Trout and Otani and maybe other healthy players that might actually do things, uh, do enough to raise his fantasy value in these early November drafts, Kevin? I think so, a little bit. I think as things stand right now, and it could change, we got a long way to go, but as of right now, I think he's probably playing shortstop most days for the Angels. And being an insurance policy and a day off here and there for Rendon at third base. So I think so. I think the counting stats will be there. I don't know if we see over 20 home runs again, but 
definitely double digits in the cards and he's hit for a nice average ever starting in 2019 and ever since so i think so maybe not bumping him up too much but i'm at least now more interested at where he is going and considering him there when don't know that i was before yeah, roster Jason over at Roster Resource got him penciled in in the shortstop position, as you alluded to, starting every day, no platoon or anything for the Angels. Ringifo moves over to he plays every day at second base in this scenario as well. So if he gets that everyday role, it is nice to see that he moves from that corner to that middle infield spot. And after the first 10 games of the season, he could slot into five different positions in an NFBC lineup between third base, shortstop, middle, corner, and utility. So that's something to keep an eye on. It's something nice to target, especially at pick 350 in any draft. Sean, what is, this is this does a lot for the Twins, and we'll get to another move that the Twins made in a little bit, But and you can even touch on it if, if you need to, but what does this move mean for the future of the Twins infield? Are they going to assign someone? Is We'll just get to it. They traded for Kyle Farmer from Cincinnati, literally like, an hour before we started recording this. And so between Farmer going to Minnesota and Ursella leaving, what kind of, what do you see the Minnesota infield looking like by the time spring training rolls around? For third base, Jose Miranda is pretty interesting to me. He's 24, a guy that doesn't strike out that much and doesn't walk that much. That feels like a twins type player that they believe in to me, where they have a guy that gets on base and doesn't strike out a lot. He posted a 117 WRC plus in his first season last year. That, to me, feels like a natural next step for him to be every day at third base. But with Farmer going to Minnesota, he replaces Correa's glove pretty capably, I think. But they're going to need another bat. Like, that's a pretty big drop-off in offensive production to go from Carlos Correa and then hope that Miranda continues to, to develop and be an everyday third baseman and then bring in Kyle Farmer and, I guess, hope he continues to develop the bat. But I don't see that a way that Minnesota can compete and just roll out with that lineup as it is every day. They need to find that missing offensive production they had from Correa from somewhere. And I don't know that they necessarily have it with those two on the left side of the infield, at least. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they do because Ross Resource has Luis Arise penciled in as their everyday first baseman. I can see Miranda playing, moving over there as well and having Arise be the Swiss army knife of their roster, which is what he had already had been doing for so long. I think he feels comfortable enough doing that. In my mind, every major league, almost every major league player would prefer to just, this is my position. I want to play it every day. I want to get in a groove, but there are definitely some players. Brock Holt comes to mind always as a Red Sox fan, somebody who just don't, they just want to be on the field. I just want to play. Put me wherever you want. I think Bryson Stott just said that to to his GM or his manager or wherever. Like, hey, where do you want to play next year? Second or short? He's like, I just want to play. <laughs> Put me wherever you need me. So I get that. There is that mentality. But I agree with you. Like, the Twins would be best served getting a bat. But I think they have a lot of flexibility on where that bat can play. Whether it is they bring back Correa to play short, move some people around, bring in a first baseman, move people around. I think... This, they do have a lot more flexibility now than they did before with the type of players that they have on the roster. So I'm in agreement that I do not think that this is a final product at all for Minnesota. They also have do, you do know, you think, Royce Lewis as well. So, sorry, Adam. Do you think that the Farmer uh, trade is a signal that they're, they know they're not re-signing Correa? Or do you still think the door is open on that potentially? 
I think from everything I've, all the rumors I've heard from players that the players really want Correa to come back. I don't think this is trading for Kyle Farmer is not for for a team like the Twins is not a nail in the coffin for bringing back a guy like Correa, but it's not a it's not a it's not somebody in the right direction, especially an organization like the Twins who have a lot of depth at that position between Austin Martin and and Royce Lewis coming up through their system. They both have warts, they both have their question marks, but they do have players that can come up and fill that role, even if it's not right away. They have those options. I don't think it's a I don't think it's a sign that they're that's their number one priority now. All right, well, let's get to some more of those. Kyle, that Kyle Farmer trade was lumped in here with, with these other smaller or lesser named trades, but still interesting players. We saw Xavier Edwards being moved to Miami and Eliza Hernandez being moved to the Mets from Miami. Sean, I mean, in your estimation, what role do these guys play with their new teams? Xavier Edwards, I think, is going to start in AAA next year. He was in AAA last year and... His K rate, his strikeout rate jumped by about 50% from the time he was in double A the previous year. I think he needs some more time in triple A, probably. I don't know that he's going to be an immediate factor. For Hernandez, that's an interesting signing for the Mets. It, it feels like a bullpen depth signing. He can give you 60 innings pretty consistently, I think, and you can rely on that. But he's also a guy whose FIP has been worse than his ERA throughout his career, and his ERA hasn't been very good outside of 25 innings in, in 2020. So it, it feels to me like a bullpen depth piece and probably won't have too much impact on the Mets' bullpen pecking order. Yeah, even they've been linked pretty hard with Sen- Senja coming out of Japan as well. And so even if they don't bring back to I would assume that they're going to bring in somebody else to fill that rotation. And they've got a couple of other more interesting pitchers in David Peterson and Tyler McGill to fill in that four or five spot in that rotation. Kevin, of all these guys who changed teams, I'll even lump Kyle Farmer in here as well. Are any of them either more or less interesting with their new uniforms? And just to put them in perspective, Kyle Farmer has an ADP currently of 393. He was drafted in all 20 completed DC so far, as opposed to Eliza Hernandez, who has an ADP of 653 and only drafted in nine of those 20. And Edwards is 733, but he's only been drafted in two of the 20 completed DCs so far. Yeah, I don't have much interest in Edwards, even in DCs. I agree with Blake Snell's comment <laughs> when Tampa originally I was going to see if we can make it through this whole segment without <laughs> mentioning that, but I'm glad somebody squeezed that in. Squeezed it in without saying it, right? Uh, Eliza Hernandez, I think I can probably do better, or at least I, what I think will be better that for that type of relief pitcher in his spot. Kyle Farmer is really interesting to me because... I think his ADP is going to drop now. He's leaving Great American Small Park. And sure, that will hurt the home run output. But this is the kind of guy that even if Correa does come back to the Twins, Kyle Farmer is going to get at least semi-regular at-bats for a team. And if he drops into the 400s, maybe even a little further because he's out of Great American Small Park and now we don't know what his role is, I think he's going to get his at-bats. You brought up earlier in the offseason Elvis Andrews last year. I think Kyle Farmer can become a, a very appealing to me if he drops much further in ADP, which I think he's definitely going to drop some. The question is how much. Yeah, I agree that he's going to drop. I don't 
I don't necessarily agree with the comp of Elvis Andrews. The reason I liked Elvis Andrews last year late is I knew he was going to play every day for a bad team. Like he was the starting shortstop for the Oakland A's. No question, no no competition. Farmers already, if we're going by what Jason's got over at Rosarisa, he's already on the bench. That's before they they bring in a Carlos Correa. Now, I'm not saying that it's November. <laughs> That's <laughs> Lots can change, obviously. But if I'm drafting a DC right now, he's going to have to drop. He's going to have to be in the 45th round type of scenario, I think, based on playing time, if that's if that's my focus. And he only... Actually, what does he have for... Uh, the one good thing, Farmer had a bunch of eligibility last year. He's down to third base and shortstop going on the NFBC platform. Again, he had at one point, he had catcher eligibility. And this is not even a joke. He had catcher eligibility on Yahoo. I think if it wasn't last year, it was the year prior. He literally had everything. And so I don't think he has that anymore, (laughs) but he might be their emergency catcher. We'll see. We'll see how the twins handle that situation. It is nice to have that dual eligibility. We talked about that with Gio. And so we'll see how that goes. I wouldn't be as tempted. He'd have to fall pretty far for me based on the role I see for him right now. But I agree. He'd be very interesting if if you saw a clearer path for those plate appearances, regardless of the park that he's doing it in. All right, guys, a lot of non-tendered players, some more surprising than others, got through. I'm going to list off some of the ones that really caught my eye, and I want to get your guys' take about. Sean, I want you to let me know where you think they could go. Give me a player or two from this list that you're like, hey, I think this player would really fit in wherever and what kind of role they could fill in. And then Kevin, be interested to see what kind of fan, like if you're drafting today before they sign, like which one would you be most willing to take the chance on hoping that they land into a more favorable fantasy situation? Dominic Smith from the Mets got non-tendered. Alex Reyes got non-tendered by the Cardinals. Cody Bellinger and Edwin Rios from the Dodgers. Franchi Cordero from the Red Sox. Josh James, reliever from Houston. Luke Foyt, first base from Washington. Jorge Alfaro, outfield catcher from San Diego. Brian Anderson from Miami. Braylon Mark prospects slash reliever for the Cubs. A little bit surprising there based on his age and his role. And then Jimmy Candelario from Detroit. And then Ryan Yarbrough, who also got DFA'd earlier, was officially non-tendered as well by Tampa Bay. So Sean, start with you here. Of these guys, like which one do you think has the best opportunity to find themselves in a favorable role in what kind of role do you see some of these guys fitting their way into? I think I was most surprised about Alex Reyes being non-tendered by the Cardinals. You don't have necessarily a ton of bullpen or starting pitching depth at the moment. I would not mind seeing him go to the White Sox. But because, and the reason I say that is because the White Sox could use both some more starting pitching depth and maybe a, a reliever to help set up Liam Hendricks and Reyes has experience doing both. Now, I'm not sure what Reyes wants to do. It was pretty clear he wanted to start last year, and the Cardinals were willing to move him into that position. I don't know if this is a situation where the Cardinals just don't want him as a starter, and he wants to continue to start somewhere, and there wasn't a fit there or whatever. But Alex Reyes could be an interesting pickup for a team, I think. Yeah, MLB Trade Rumors, Steve Adams' article over there had him estimated at making $2.8 million dollars in arbitration so not exactly the a big ticket cost price there on reyes so maybe definitely a little bit surprising how give me a hitter then sean as well you can f- take the low-hanging fruit if you want or you can pick another guy but like a hitter that can find themselves in, in a more favorable situation yeah what about luke voigt the cubs need another left-handed hitter in their lineup 
right now, Roster Resource has Matt Mervis as the top contender for space on the current roster. He has all of 250 plate appearances at AAA. Luke Voigt could maybe rebuild some value on a shorter contract with the Cubs. I would love to see the Cubs sign a first baseman because that would just <laughs> put that would put drafters in just a big frenzy right now because Merv is just about going to crack into the top 200 ADP because of his performance at the AFL. Kevin, like fantasy, strictly fantasy, and appreciate Sean what you're talking about. You're like this looks logical. <laughs> it looks logical that Luke Voigt could go to the Cubs, but like. From a fantasy perspective, I'm gonna I'm gonna force you to talk about Cody Bellinger. Where you know where what makes the most sense for him to go? And the beauty of this is that somebody like Bellinger and all these guys, they have their free agents. They can go anywhere. There, some of them have, still have a couple years of arbitration left, and so they're going to be under control, team control, wherever they sign, unless they sign a long term deal to avoid that. But I think this is this is Bellinger's final year of arbitration, if I'm not mistaken. So he can find a way to find a one year deal and set himself up for a bigger contract. He just has to find the right place to that it's going to allow him to do that and not force him into a platoon or this or that. Where would, besides the obvious Colorado, I've already started seeing the Colorado rumors yep. flying around. Besides Colorado, where's the, where would you hope Bellinger ends up from a fantasy perspective? I, I don't think I've seen this, and I, I don't think I'm the first one to say it, but I just haven't seen it. If they believe that they, he can turn things around, the Yankees need a center fielder, possibly. That that would just be hilarious, and then Judge signs in L.A. That would <laughs> that's be the new absolutely rumor. Absolutely hilarious, because the rumor <laughs> is that the Dodgers are going heavy after Judge. Now they have a hundred million dollars they just yep. dumped today. So <laughs> I I would see that. Yeah, Colorado needs a center fielder, and, and but yeah, I I just think it would be absolutely hilarious. And if anywhere that could really help him turn the things around, that short porch in right field would be nice for Cody Bellinger. The Mets are bringing in their right field wall as go. well. So He's they're going also going to have a We just don't know which yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> just don't know what borough he'll be in. Yeah, I drafted Bellinger. I was holding off. And as soon as it happened to be my pick in the listener league when the it was like officially unofficial that Bellinger was going to be non-tender. I knew it was rumored all week. We even talked about it last week on the episode. But as soon as that kind of came through, I'm like, you know what? I need a fifth outfielder. Here it is. We'll see how long that lasts. There's one other guy on this list that I'm interested to see where he lands, just because if it's a nicer ballpark and he's going to get to play, I really, and if he's, I want to see what Brian Anderson can do in a full season in, in a lineup. And so I'm really, really curious to see where he ends up. Yeah, I'm interested to see if Dom Smith finds a place where he can get everyday playing time as well. Candelario, if I'm not mistaken, he he might have led all of baseball in doubles. I think I read that correctly last year. Still got stuff in the bat. I think it was estimated that he could make upwards of like $7 million in arbitration. So I get a team like Detroit moving on from that from that contract or possible contract and just not wanting to go through that process of arbitration with him. But I think his services will be... He'll be definitely be signed somewhere to play third base somewhere, or possibly even moving over to first base in the right scenario. But yeah, not a lot of not a lot of pitchers, which is not too rare. Obviously, we talked about Alex Reyes, um, and then Braylon Marquez. He's going to sign somewhere as well with the way he pitches, and hopefully, he can put it together a little bit more. His results haven't been that great, but still a lot of potential in that arm in the bullpen role. All right, let's 
I think we talked enough about the news that came through. I'm sure there'll be a lot more talk, especially on these non-tendered candidates or non-tendered players entering the free agent market as we move along. But for now, we're going to move on to our main discussion, the actual big name free agents that are that have hit the market. We're going to break them down and pick Sean's brain about how where he thinks they're going to go based on the article he put out at Pitcher List recently. But before we do that, we are going to take this quick break. All right, we are back. You're still listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined by Kevin Hastings, and we are lucky enough to have with us Sean Roberts of PitcherList.com going over some big-name free agents, where we think they're going to go, what kind of impact they're going to have with their new teams and with our fantasy rosters as well. But before we get into the specific players from the article, Sean, I want to gauge where you were coming from when you were putting out this article. And there's a lot of different articles that get put out all around the web on different websites about where we think players are going to go. I wanted to get your take and like, what was your process for writing this article um, and coming up with uh, where these players might be going? I started just looking at all 30 teams and sorting them on a matrix. On one axis, you have their willingness to spend and MLB trade rumors roster or transaction tracker was super helpful for that. Looking at where teams have spent in the past, if they've spent during their competitive windows, to just get a sense of when ownership is willing to spend and when they're not. Some of those we know already. We know that the Mets are going to spend. We know the Pirates are not going to spend. I didn't have to spend too much time researching those teams. (laughs) And also then thinking about their contention window. Where are they on the win curve based on the projections we have right now? And after I had that matrix, I tried to put myself in the position of the shoes of a modern front office. And by that, I mean, trying not to think so much of if I was the general manager, where would I, who would I sign for this team? But thinking about if I was a general manager, given the spending constraints that owners put on their general managers and their historical decisions to spend or not spend, what might make sense for that club? I think that's Good. It's always good. It's always fun to say, oh, I want this player to sign here or there or what have you. But it's always it's good to know that there's a process behind and there's a logical decision making when you're putting an article together. And so what factors did you consider when you made these very specific predictions besides whether or not a team is going to actually spend money? I wanted to look at fit first and foremost and which positions those teams struggled to get production from or, or out of. That's an obvious first sort. But then there's also just this X factor in free agency where players and teams make decisions for all kinds of reasons. And some of those are logical. We talked about some of the moves that have been surprising to us already in in terms of just non-tendering players. So nobody actually knows where they're going to go, (laughs) except for the fans in my mentions on Twitter. They're all experts. Oh, absolutely. They know where where everyone's going. All the comments on the article as well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's what makes free agency fun exactly. in my mind is that we don't know those things. I tried to also think about not just fit. I didn't just want to say who had the lowest war, who has the most war for this position. Let's put them together. I also tried to think of some fun surprises that would be reasonable, but still fun outcomes that maybe wouldn't be expected. If we just wanted to say, let's get as many right as possible, maybe you just bank totally on the Dodgers, Mets, and Yankees signing everyone, which still could happen. (laughs) Uh, Maybe that will. But I also wanted to try and come up with some surprises that that still would make sense, but 
be interesting in the off season. Yeah, we're going to talk about some of them, but there, there's definitely some surprises that I would say based on the teams that you have selected to sign some of these players. Namely, we'll get to the specific players later, but Arizona signing a couple of these big names yeah. on your list is awesome to see because they have currently they have such a low guaranteed contract on the books going into the season. They are they have the 19th lowest payroll going in to the at this very moment. This is before arbitration, before any raises that they provide. So with only 54 or $55 million on the books, they have a lot of room to spend. And I think if you look and if you're the type like me that likes to look at future bet odds on like DraftKings, they, you can actually bet on where some of the major names are going, are going to go. They don't allow you to bet very much money on those, which is unfortunate because the odds of Arizona signing any big name is like 10 at plus 10,000. And so they only let you bet like 35 cents, which is just, yeah. <laughs> but I'm very it's interesting because they have a lot of money to spend. Right You've alluded to it already, but are these, would you say that these predictions are what you think a team should do based on fit, based on what they need or what they could do based on how much money they have to spend or the hole that they have. They could do it, but they might whatever. Or do you even more so, do you think it's more realistic what they actually will actually do based on the trends? My process is probably 60% what they will do. I wanted to provide some insight <laughs> to people reading and I'd love to get 100% of them right. That That's not going to happen. I already whiffed on Edwin Diaz. A lot of Mets fans were happy to let me know about that. <laughs> no. That was great. And then Kershaw re-signed with the Dodgers, and I said that. So I'm just happy not to go over. That That would have been bad. So I, I don't want to just have crazy things out there. So probably like a little more than half what they will do. And then the rest is split up between what they should do and what they could do to reflect how unpredictable free agency is and also have some fun with it. Like I said, later, I know we're going to talk about Wilson Contreras this is a good example. I initially put him going to Cleveland because they need so much help at catcher and DH and he could fill both. And that would be such a boon to to team that, that's contending right now. And Nick, our pitcher list CEO and boss and president, rightfully pointed out to me, like, hey, Cleveland hasn't waded too much into free agency. Are you really sure you want to go out on this limb? And I, so I realized this is a what should happen pick that I was more picking from my, they should spend this money and they should do want to say. my laughter on that because Nick did mention, he mentioned that <laughs> on either an On the Corner or a Nick and Alex baseball show. I can't remember which one, but the funny comedies, Cleveland's not going to do that. They don't, have, they don't spend yeah. money. As we talked about the top of the show, I think we're all very we're much aware of that. I think it was but I, I did a smart move to change them. <laughs> I did get Nick though to promise me that if Contreras does sign with Cleveland, he has to tweet that I was right about that. Yes. So I want to go on the record with that right now. So Nick has agreed <laughs> nice. to that and promised it. That's so right. if, That's like a we win should win all just you. root for Contreras. <laughs> yeah, we should all root for Contreras to sign with Cleveland just for that. I, I can't as a Royals fan, but I will be happy for you if it happens. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, we talk about it all the time. Like, obviously, we are a fantasy focused show. And so we want, we're very interested to see where these players go from a fantasy perspective. And I think I won't speak for you, Kevin, but I'm looking at free agency 99% of the time from a fantasy lens. And I'm like, please, can't they just go? And you're like, you're looking at the perfect fit where they get the most playing time, where they can make the most impact in the lineup. Can't they just all get together and figure out, hey, they need to go here. 
And then the Rockies signed Chris Owens. That's yeah. how that always <laughs> works. And then the but then the Rangers spend money, and you're like, where did that come from? And is that a domino for the next year and the year after that? We you don't know, and you don't know what to expect. Yeah, of course, of all things, that's where Colorado goes with their money. Who didn't even say, I don't think he in, ended up on the team to start the season. I'm either got DFA'd or got sent down or hurt or something. I, it was, all right, we're backtracking <laughs> a little too much. The Rockies are going to Rocky. We know that. Talk about some of these bigger names then, guys. Let's. We're only going to talk about, first of all, today's episode, we're only going to talk about some of these big hitters and the hitters that Sean thinks are going to change team so he's got Aaron Judge staying in New York he's got Trey Turner staying with the Dodgers and those are the only two of the bigger names I know is that we're going to stay we were going to talk about Jock Peterson but he did he accepted the qualifying offer and so we're not going to talk about him I don't know why San Francisco offered him the does anybody know the answer to that question why did San Francisco offer Jock Peterson the 19 point some whatever million dollar qualifying offer because they thought he would turn it down and go for more get the years. draft pick yes I, that's what i think he'd have got less money per year but he would have got maybe a three-year deal somewhere and he based taken on what that, he put together got sure. the draft pick yeah the thing is he can do it all again now and then they can't put the qualifying offer on him and he can be still young enough where he could get that two or three or maybe even a four-year deal at the right place next year that worked out great for him Oh, yeah. All right. Let's get into some of the bigger names. Let's start off with the aforementioned Wilson Contreras, who you have moving to St. Louis, Sean. Talk, elaborate a little bit more on why you moved him from Cleveland to St. Louis. This one to me was just a kind of natural fit. What should happen? St. Louis has an opening at catcher for the first time. And as three, a Brewers fan, what feels decades, like 100. Yeah. Having the opportunity at catcher and St. Louis is willing to wade into the free agent market when they get discounts from, from players. I don't know if Wilson Contreras is willing to do that or not, but that seemed like a natural fit for a team that's just always in contention and always a player for free agents, whether through trading and then signing to extensions or wading into the free agent pool. So I thought Wilson Contreras maybe made sense. I, I know there are concerns about um, his receiving and what that'll mean for the Cardinals pitching staff that I think has really benefited from Yadier Molina from his defensive capabilities for all those years. But it, it just seemed to be one that made the most sense and I, I would give the most likelihood to. So Kevin, if we're going to stick with Sean's predictions here. Wilson Contreras in St. Louis, from a fantasy perspective, my concerns, he's not going to get as many plate appearances in St. Louis as he, would, as he was with the Cubs if he's healthy. Now, if he's playing less time, you'd think maybe he's he'll stay healthier for the season. But I think that there's a lot of, like Arizona has in the outfield, St. Louis would have a lot of mouths to feed at the DH spot. He might get a couple reps here or there. But between one, even Lars Newbar getting in some extra at-bats at the DH spot, they have their own outfield situation that they might want to spread out into the DH spot as well. Do you agree with that assessment? Or are, would you be more worried about him in St. Louis or... You mean, doesn't matter. It's Wilson Contreras. He's going to find his at bat. No, I agree. I think he's, he would lose some plate appearances over a full healthy season, but I think he slides right in that five hole behind Nolan Arenado. And if he starts two thirds of the games at catcher, I'll take 400 plate appearances in that spot in the lineup. Yeah, I agree. But with where we're seeing catcher in the fantasy landscape right now, I wonder if it make if it allows me to feel more comfortable jumping over him and waiting until he passes until he passes on the draft board and then picking up the next the fifth or sixth catcher off the board in that scenario if that's where he ends up all right let's move over to i'm going to pair these guys together because they 
in a way fit with each other. You have Dansby, Sean, you have Dansby Swanson moving out of Atlanta, going to the Angels and replacing him in Atlanta. You think Xander Bogarts is going to sign down there and they're not going to give the job to Von Grissom. Talk to me about where your head was at here. What logic did you put to have Swanson leaving Atlanta and of going to all places, going to L.A.? Yeah, maybe this is less likely with the signing we just saw from Anaheim earlier tonight. But at the time, again, this was more of maybe an X factor pick where the Angels just seem to be a team that every other year or so has a surprising big name free agent that they just try to put all their marbles in that basket that year. We saw it with Pujols years ago now. We saw it with Rendon more recently than that. They just make these moves every once in a while. And so thinking about thinking about Dansby Swanson, if he wants to test elsewhere, it, it seemed to be a natural fit. There wasn't anyone really at the time holding down shortstop that you would say would be a blocker for playing time for Dansby if he did go to Anaheim. And can I open up the hot take box here for a second, guys? Please. It's hot, Do I have hot your permission? season. Okay. <laughs> I would take Dansby Swanson. I think I would take Dansby Swanson as an MLB owner or general manager above any of the other shortstops that are on the market. Correa is probably close. I like Dansby's defense a little bit better. He's younger than any of the other shortstops. I think him and Correa are are about the same age. And Dansby has just continued to improve every year. So maybe the offensively. So maybe this is something that is is maybe more wish casting to get Trout and Otani into the playoffs as Otani goes into his walk here in his contract. But that was my thinking with Dansby. And then there's going to be a hole in Atlanta, assuming they, they just don't go with Vaughn there at, at shortstop, which maybe they would. I don't think anyone would blame them too. But again, they have many of their players locked up under team-friendly deals that maybe this would be an opportunity for them to get an immediate upgrade, or maybe not an upgrade from Dansby, but an immediate upgrade from the internal options as they wait for Vaughn to to develop and and be a, a potential superstar, they hope. Maybe this gives them a chance to really keep their competitive window open, firmly open for another year if they were to get Xander on a more short-term deal. As far as the Angels go, I don't think getting Gio Urshela procures them from signing uh, anybody, to be honest. But they have one of the highest team contracts right now going into the offseason. I think it's like $140, $150 million on the books. But Lowe himself, he's in his last year of his deal after through arbitration. He should make probably in the vicinity of six and a half. He's making six and a half last year. So probably gets a little bit of a bump there after having a pretty positive season. If he gets up to $7 million or something like that, that'll be the last year. And then his money comes off the books. It'd be nice for the Angels to have somebody already in place like what everybody thinks the Red Sox did with Trevor Story, signing him before Bogarts walked away. And it's still not to say that Bogarts is going to actually walk away. But if he does go to Atlanta, Heim Blue's going to be able to say, that's why we brought in Story so that we can just slide him over and we'll fill second base some other way. So yeah, I don't think necessarily that Swanson's staying in Atlanta as well. I could see him going to, yeah, I could see anybody going to the Angels. They're, they, like you said, they've been willing to spend money and, more more often they spend money on their bats than they do their pitching, which is unfortunate since that's where they struggle the most to bring up players of their own is through the pitching side. Kevin, do either one of the shortstops changing teams do anything for you as far as their fantasy value or or what kind of impact do you think these players going to these teams would do to other players on their on those teams? I don't think it really 
affects too much as, as long as they're in good lineups, right? If Bogarts takes Dansby's spot in Atlanta, he probably hits a little lower in the lineup and they're hopeful Albies is healthy to move back up near the top, but he'd be somewhere in the middle of the lineup, I'm assuming. So he'd be just fine there. If Dansby would end up in Anaheim, he's probably right there in the Taylor Ward, Anthony Rendon area. So that I wouldn't be too worried about either's production if these were the teams they would end up with and pretty much anywhere as, as long as it's a good lineup. And these guys aren't going to bad lineups like it's just not going to happen. So yeah, I'm not too worried about where these guys end up. I, I will. I do have one comment on the angels. We have heard now that Shohei Otani will not be traded this off season, but I don't think they're going to spend a lot of money, even though they're not dump getting what they can for him with the, this pending sale going on. I don't see them going out and signing a big free agent. They have in the past, if it wasn't for this sale, I would agree 100%, but I don't see I them about handed a, adding a big contract. Yeah, I think that's a good good variable to keep in mind when when you're guessing where these free agents could sign, at least the bigger name ones. Trading for somebody like Gio Shella, $7 million, sure. We'll see where that we'll see where that goes. But yeah, if you're con- long-term, I, I could see... I could see a one like a shorter term deal still being made, but these guys aren't going to be looking for one or even two year deals. They're going to be looking for their seven year contracts. It's the first time either of these guys have hit the open market, and so they're going to want to see what they can get and how long they can get it for. Let's go. Let's stick with another shortstop, but we'll stick. We're going to go. We're going to go to Arizona. We alluded to, or I alluded to this a little bit earlier. Sean, you've got Arizona spending some money, filling some holes. Carlos Correa the newest Diamondback, alongside Brandon Drury, who could play positions playing first, eligible in, at least in the fantasy realm, at a first, second, and third going into the 2023 season. Lost that el- outfield eligibility, not to say that he couldn't fill in once in a while, but didn't play enough last year to keep it between Cincinnati and San Diego. What draws these two guys to the desert in Arizona? Yeah, Arizona is just my shot in the dark pick for an unexpected team that kind of pushes their chips in a little bit more aggressively than we anticipate. The Texas you know, Ranger yeah, of this exactly. offseason, sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and looking at their lineup and where their strengths are, there's nobody holding shortstop down in, in Arizona at the moment, really, that you would say, yeah, they're definitely going to be their long-term solution. So Diamondbacks, Twitter went crazy for this. They loved it. And were wishing each other good morning. And Carlos Correa might come to the Diamondbacks. I was like, oh, maybe not. This might be like a 20% guess rather than a 50% guess or something. So yeah, I, I thought it made sense. Carlos Correa would be there. The Diamondbacks have spent money and free surprisingly before. Uh, in in the not too distant past, the Madison Bumgarner contract. Maybe they don't they don't want to repeat that contract uh, again. But that was a surprise. And now that they have young guys coming in, I also think Drury could be the kind of player that could would be a smart signing for a team like the Diamondbacks that has several young, interesting guys, but not like a ton of surefire top talent young guys. So you can mix and match Drury anywhere in the field depending on how those guys are performing, a utility player like that, I think would be really smart for Arizona. And in the article, I mentioned how we and how the teams vying for his services, how how their value of him comes across is probably dependent on whether he's viewed as the 230 ISO hitter he was last year, 
or the one that's 50 points below that, that really he's been for most of his career. But at minimum, he's serviceable everywhere defensively, pretty much everywhere except catcher on the field and is at worst an average hitter. And so a, a reunion with Arizona, I think, would make sense for jury there. And he's probably a guy that's more valuable in real life baseball than in fantasy. Yeah, I could, Drury, I see. I think I understand why Arizona fans would love. Oh, Correa. Okay. Yeah, we can take him. The only thing that holds me back from them signing a big, big name shortstop is Jordan Lawler coming up top five prospect in the game. And it was just, at, he started off in the AFL. I think he got hurt. So he wasn't there that long. He wasn't there during first pitch Arizona, but he did start there. He should be on the Corbin Carroll track. I was listening to Chris Welsh talk about that on the Rotowire pod the other day, and he's a big Arizona guy. Seeing Lawler be on the same track as Corbin Carroll, so double A, triple A, make his appearance halfway through the season or toward the end of next season as well. And so bringing in somebody like Correa on a longer-term deal, because Correa now is going to want that longer-term deal. He did his one He did his one year. He got. He opted out of that. And now he's able to see where he can get more guaranteed money. Any of these short stuff, these big name short stuffs are going to want long-term deals. And so wondering if you move Lawler to a different position or you sign somebody like Bogarts or Correa and we expect them to move positions once Lawler is ready to move up into that position. I don't know. That would be my only pushback as far as if Arizona spends money, is that the position that they're going to go in? I think Drury's perfect because of his versatility. So Kevin... With either of these guys going to Arizona, shortstop's so deep right now, uh, your answer is probably the same for Correa as it was for the other two guys. It doesn't really matter where they go as long as you know the lineup's in a positive direction. But what's your take on these guys in the desert? No, my answer is actually vastly different. I know ballpark factors are very volatile, however, and I know different lists are a little different. But just glancing really quickly at ESPN's ballpark factors, home runs, in 2020, Arizona was bottom half. In 2021, they were bottom five. And in 2022, they were dead last in ballpark factor for home runs. These guys are being drafted way ahead of where I would even consider them if they end up in Arizona. Thanks. I just drafted Drury in our league, <laughs> so I appreciate that. I didn't. I don't. I didn't pick Correa. I waited. I got. It's I, a good I, ballpark for doubles. <laughs> That's that's a category, right? That's one of our categories. We got to talk to Derek about that. Yeah, it's where these guys go is important. That's why we're speculating on this stuff. So some things to keep in mind where these guys could be going could affect how you value them as you're drafting them. Let's move down to the first base. We're going to pair these guys because they're both first basemen, both on the market. Both on the, quote, wrong side of 30, one a little bit more than the other. Jose Abreu, you have him going to San Diego to replace Josh Bell, who you think is going to sign with the Mets, who obviously already have their own first baseman, who they're ev- very much everyday first baseman, and Pete Alonso, who literally plays every day, regardless of if he's playing first or DH. Talk to me about the logic behind these two signings. Yeah, I'll start with the easier one first. I think Jose Abreu makes a lot of sense for a team that's as in as much of a win now mode as. San Diego is and with their young players everything you hear about Abreu is that he's a great clubhouse guy and a a great mentor to the younger players and everything with the White Sox. That is something San Diego Um, probably needs. (laughs) Yep. It's a clubhouse guy. Yeah. Yeah. And he's still that all side he's still a very productive hitter. Surprisingly if you don't you're not paying attention to 
Jose Abreu on a yearly basis. He's still surprisingly productive. You think he, he's just dropped off, but I think he's one of those guys that's just consistently good, and so it gets boring, so he doesn't get as much ink as the rest of the guys on the free agent list. Josh Bell was, I think I've probably spent more time thinking about Josh Bell this offseason than anyone else in the world, maybe. This is such a hard one. I don't know. It's hard to find like a good fit for Josh Bell if he's not going to re-sign with San Diego, who, since Josh Bell was there, they're going to need a, a first base in their lineup. But because he his performance fell off quite a bit in San Diego, like he, he wasn't the same hitter he's been, even all of last year, really. His exit velocity has taken a major hit. He's He still gets on base a ton. There, there's no real immediate opening hole I could find across baseball that's like a clear fit. Oh yeah, this is the one that's right. So I struggled with this one quite a bit. And as you said, there's not a huge hole. There there might not be a hole at all in New York, but maybe it's a nice hedge against some Daniel Vogelback regression and, and you can rotate between those two and first base and DH with Polar Bear to get Alonzo sometime at DH or whatever. He, Bell can also play a little bit of outfield. As recently as 2021, he spent 20 games in outfield. You don't want him there all year. But maybe this is just like another bat that the Mets could use that's almost more of a bench utility bat to rotate between Vogelback and Polar Bear and give their outfielders a day off maybe once in a while. But like I said, I, I just really struggled to come up with a clear fit for Josh Bell given his struggles and that he's on the wrong side of, of his exit velocity now. I don't know why, but Josh Bell signing with Miami seems like the direction at this point in his career, who he is in the somewhat of a hole they do have at first base as they believe they DFA Lewin Diaz as well. They have roster resource as Garrett Cooper right now penciled in as a first baseman. And we know how long Garrett Cooper can stay on the field and he's not the basket of health as well. So I don't know what that's where my mind goes with Josh Bell or and not so much the bigger first baseman. I, I think just because of where the production he's been put together, as you mentioned, has fallen off. It would be a reclamation project for Miami to sign him, even if it's for a one year deal to see if he can maybe some options tacked on to that. It would make a little bit more sense in that realm. When I saw you had him with the Mets, it was definitely surprising. I get the logic that you're using, but because obviously of Pete Alonso being Pete Alonso, the and then obviously in Vogelbach still with the team as well. They actually avoided arbitration with him, already signed him on. What Kevin, what's your uh, what's your take with these two locations for these first basemen? I would love a Brayu in San Diego. Cado, Soto, and hopefully a majority of a season with Tatis probably hitting in front of him. And Abreu still gets around the bases. He scored 85 runs. He hit the least amount of home runs in his career, including the short in 2020. But I think we're going to see positive regression there. This is the great thing about Jose Abreu. He played all 60 games in 2020. Okay, Every other season of his career except one, he's played at least 145 games. And that one, he still played 128, which these days is pretty darn good, 128 <laughs> games. He's going to play every day. His RBI total in San Diego would approach that 117 he had in 2021 or the 123 he had in 2019 if he's hitting behind those guys. And in that lineup, the 85 and 86 runs he scored the last couple of seasons would be there as well. I would love that. Yeah, I think San Diego is going to sign a first baseman. I don't think Jay Cronenworth is their opening day 
first baseman as he's be they tried Josh right. Bell. So yeah, exactly. There's your answer, right? <laughs> exactly. I think he was a package deal, though. I think he was attached to Soto. I don't okay. think Washington was giving away Soto unless you, hey, we'll give you Soto, but you have to take Josh Bell and you have to pay it for us as well. I think that was probably a package deal. Uh, Price going with Mookie Betts to the Dodgers. Like, all right, we'll give you Mookie, but you got to take this other guy too. <laughs> and most of his contract. Cano to the Mets with Diaz. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That worked out okay. We won't get into that. Sorry, Mets fans. Actually, Mets fans are probably okay with it now, the way oh, Kellenic has yeah, performed. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were irate when it happened, but they love it now. All right, we got, let's see, there's two more groupings here of players. That let's stick with the, let's go with these. These They're not really, I'm going to group them all. I'll group all three of these guys together because they're all outfielders. And technically, they could all play center field. They're not going to play center field only one of them is probably going to play center field but joey gallo can actually play center field benintendi has played center field not in a while but he has but we're talking about brandon nimmo joey gallo and andrew benintendi the last three guys we're going to talk about here you have brandon nimmo going to minnesota sean joey gallo going to the brewers and andrew benintendi going to houston so talk to me about the logic with these three guys and where you have them going yeah, Nemo to me fe- feels like a Minnesota type guy that they like and would sign. I agree. He, We talked about him earlier with regard to the rumors around Toronto. That seems to make a lot of sense too. Yeah, Nemo isn't a guy I felt super strongly about, but in looking at the holes that, that Minnesota has, and we talked about trying to replace some of the production from Correa on the offensive side, and that they have their injury problems in the outfield in Minnesota. Specifically center field. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Seems to make sense to have a backup plan there or or someone that can rotate between positions. Gallo in in Milwaukee, I actually wrote this before the Brewers added John Singleton to their 40 man, which which is a great story. I'm actually not sure exactly how that's going to work with the Brewers because now they have two big boy (laughs) left-handed mashers at first base with Rowdy Telez there. So now maybe it doesn't seem as likely that the Gallo fits in as a lefty bat in Milwaukee, given they're going to have to rotate those guys in and out as lefties. Maybe he's a fit in another lefty, lefty friendly park for a contender like Boston, but maybe Boston's scared off by Gallo's time with the Yankees. and Maybe he gets a shot to rebuild some of his value in Colorado or Cincinnati or, or a team that's looking to see if he can bounce back, I'm, which I'm actually pretty high on. I, I think Gallo is due for some BABIP regression, even without the shift going away. He had his worst ever BABIP this year. And with the shift going away, nobody really gets shifted as, as much as Gallo. That could be an interesting bounce back candidate for a potential contender. And Benintendi, I, I said Houston doesn't sign as many free agents as you'd think. J- just if you like ask the average baseball fan who signs a, a lot of free agents, they'd probably say like Houston and the top half. That really isn't the case. They sign their own guys a lot. But center field is open and they can rotate with Benintendi and Tucker in the center field spots or move them around between right field and left field. Chaz McCormick, I think roster resource right now has, or I'm sorry, Jake my roster resource has as their starting center fielder. Who's like an average OBP guy and has had a couple cups of coffee in Houston. He's serviceable, but if Houston wanted to maybe punch up their offense a little bit, even given maybe some of the defensive problems that would come from rotating in and out with Kyle Tucker in center, he seems like a real strong fit in Houston just because contact is king with them and he makes a ton of it. He was just outside the top 30 in contact rate last year in, in all of baseball. And given his positional flexibility and Tucker's positional flexibility. That's something that could make sense for the champions. 
I keep, I just, sorry, I'm fixated on this fact of seeing Joey Gallo in either Cincinnati or Colorado. And the, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. alone combined, obviously, with the shift. Though, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know that the shift is going to hit Gallo as much as everybody thinks. Just the fact that he hits the ball in the air so often, or his line drives, that shift, it's, he's going to be affected. But we'll see to what degree. Kevin, with these three guys, very three very different players, what's your take on these guys going to any of these places or from a fantasy perspective? I, I was looking at Steamer's projection for Andrew Benintendi earlier, and they have him for 130 games, 13 home runs, nine stolen bases, 268 batting average. He hit 304 this season and 276 in 2021. So you bump up that batting average a little bit, and that sounds an awful lot like Michael Brantley, who is a free agent and isn't even guaranteed to be ready for spring training and 36 years, years old, old. <laughs> 36 yeah close to 100 yeah you're right so this makes a lot of sense to me and then that lineup i would take the over on the runs and rbi that steamer hasn't projected for nintendi i'm talking about here so i love that think gallo yeah it, it either either of these spots you guys are bringing up would be great i think we're gonna see him make more contact he's never gonna hit the 270 like we saw for a couple of months a couple of years ago but he is gonna make more contact than he made this past season would love that and yeah Nimmo in Minnesota Brandon Nimmo I think is one of the most underrated players in fantasy because of the banded batting average and we always forget about runs scored Ariel Cohen brought this up I've talked about it in the past but he brought it up in Arizona the fantasy category and it makes sense when you think about it backwards but the fantasy category that correlates to winning teams the most is run scored that makes sense I think it's the other way around because all of the other categories offensively contribute to runs but Nimmo, it, yeah, I would love him at the top of that Minnesota lineup as well. Yeah, I would love this for all three of these guys with these teams. You have to assume that Nimmo would be the leadoff hitter, even I in a think. team with Minnesota, which will obviously downgrade a guy like Luis Arias, who he also gets all of his value from obviously batting average and even more in run scored, you take a rise out of that leadoff spot at least half the time. That really knocks him down a peg or two on your draft boards because he's not really giving you anything else. Yeah, these are some really interesting places for some of these hitters to go, Sean. And I appreciate the fact that you're able to take the time to dive into that. For a little bit more in-depth, check out Sean's article over at pitcherlist.com. We'll have a link for it in the description of the episode, but it's called uh, MLB Free Agent Predictions, Where We Think Everyone Will Go. Let me clarify this then, Sean. Did you have help with this? Is this we, or did you do this all on your own and you're just using the figurative we? I'm writing it on behalf of PitcherList, so that's why oh, I didn't know that. It was over. A, did I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but this is yours too, so you yeah. should really be proud of this. <laughs> So that, that's why Nick wanted to go over it with a fine tooth comb and wanted to weigh in on with it. He wanted to make sure I wasn't going to go too crazy with my picks or anything. <laughs> yeah, no, Sean is absolutely right. This is exactly where everybody's going to go and I stand by it. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Kevin, leave us with uh, some extra words of wisdom as we uh, as we enter, hopefully, I don't know where we are. Are we in round 22 yet? I feel like this uh, yeah, is, I, last I'm couple rounds are moving a little slow. Oh, you're I'm on up. the clock and I, it buzzed in my ear as we started recording. And you said I it's been an hour. It. You're getting it. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, we've been recording for a while here. No, um, 
This has come up a couple of times in the last couple of episodes. When we're talking about players, we have made comments about depending on how much maintenance you want to have with your team. Right. And it made me think back to in Arizona, Dave Potts and Vlad Sedler and Steve Weimer were in a NFBC panel. And as they were talking about different strategies and things, Dave Potts said to Steve Weimer, something along the lines of it, it doesn't really matter what your strategies are because nobody in your league is going to outwork you. You are going to have 30 backup bids in for every player you're trying to replace. You're going to have that done for every team you have, even if it's 45 of them. So it's not as much in Dave was saying it wasn't as much in his opinion what Steve's strategies were as much as it was how much how much work he was putting into each and every league each and every fab period so just something to keep in mind when you're deciding how many leagues to enter <laughs> especially this time of year what types of leagues and the types of players you're going to draft yeah we get we send out a lot of invites to our listener leagues to former guests of the show and we get a lot of no's and right, I totally get it. It's We very specifically made it a fab league. And a lot of people smartly limit the amount of at least fab leagues that they do. But that's the beauty of these new gladiator leagues that the NFBC Absolutely. is doing. Literally no maintenance, to, maybe to your own detriment. <laughs> no moves whatsoever. And so we'll see how many of those we can get under our belt as well. I saw you um, got in this next one. I was tempted. I saw the one hour clock. And with the time difference, that's that can be an issue for me. It's, it's a two hour clock, be. Kevin. Two hour clock. Oh, I thought it said one hour on the side. The one hour filled before my, it was the weirdest thing. Oh, you had to move to the two. Well, I started, no, I started the two hour. It wasn't, nobody was in a two hour. So I started a two hour room and then the four hour room filled up and then the one hour room filled up and I'm like, what is going on? (laughs) Get the two hour filled yet. No, we got, we got nine spots filled. Nope. That's yep. There's nine spots filled. So there's still six spots open. That's soon to be 10. There it is. There it is. Brit- Britain's in it. Waxman's Waxman's in literally every league. He's in everything right now. He literally is everything. Somebody was like, oh, I got into this league with Zach. I'm like, yeah, that's not hard to do. <laughs> Just close your eyes and sign up for something. And I'm pretty sure you're going to get in a draft with Zach. Yeah. So that'll be a fun time. Sean, let, thanks again, man, for joining us. Let everybody know. Remind everybody where they can find you and anything else you got working on during the offseason. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. You can find me at PitcherList regularly. I'm in our Discord. Join our Discord. If you're not a member already, reach out, say hello. If you want to make fun of more of my picks, I just posted my 10 bold predictions for 2022 revisited. If you thought these picks were bad, you're going to have a field day with my bold predictions picks. Hang out in the comments there and and say hello to me. You can also find me on Twitter at Sean underscore HQ. And you can look forward to Nick apologizing to me publicly on that same platform (laughs) when Wilson Contreras signs with Cleveland. There it is. We all have that to look forward to, and we definitely do. All right, Sean, thanks again for joining us, man. That is going to do it for episode 87 of On The Wire. We're back every Sunday with more insights and analysis as the offseason trudges on. So please make sure to subscribe, share, and review the podcast wherever you are listening. You can still follow myself on the Twitter at 80grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Hasting Kevin. Of course, you follow the pod itself at On The Wire Pod. 
I'd like to once again thank our guest, Sean Roberts, for joining us. Follow him on the Twitter at Sean underscore HQ. After all that, I am Adam Howe. On behalf of Kevin Hastings, thanks for listening. We bid you goodbye. <laughs>